this is your host, Martin Kwak. I started this podcast and am founding Transformation Ventures to transform business and the way we practice capitalism to capitalism 2.0. In this podcast, I interview unique founders to explore what I have found to be the first principles of grit, namely authenticity and integrity. A warm welcome to Jocelyn Herman Sacho, founder of the United Global Shift. And you are a former 90s pop star who used landmark courses to reinvent your career. And now you work for this global company teaching millions around the globe how to transform and reinvent all areas of life that are important to them. And you've achieved so many incredible things. And I would love to talk to you about switching lanes and about entrepreneurship. And with that, I'd like, like to just kick it off with a question. How would you describe what you are doing today? And why did you end up here? Well, I would describe what I'm doing today as empowering people to fulfill their dreams. And I would say that's, that's basically what I've been doing for a really long time in different forms. So whatever I've been engaged with, that's been a thread to empower people to fulfill their dreams. Why did I end up here? Who knows? You know, that's a good question. I think anything I come up with would be a likely story. But um, for sure, I designed my life to be a vehicle to empower people to fulfill their dreams. So it's by design. It occurs to me that that's not only with what you're doing with United Global Shifts or what it is that you're doing with your work with Landmark. It, it's really like everywhere. Yeah, it is. It's everywhere. It's with my talent company. You know, I manage actors. That's all about their, their fulfilling their dreams in the entertainment industry. I, you know, work with the community school to empower the students there. You know, 60% of the students in that school are on what we call free lunch in the United States, which means they're below a certain poverty level. So I get the, in, the community involved because the parents don't have the resources. So we get the community involved to empower them to be able to apply to college and pay for their applications. And, uh, you know, I work with the building that I live in. I'm on the board of directors to empower people to fulfill their vision of where they live, mm. you know, and be able to have the community be a reflection of that. So everything everything I do from United Global Shift, which works with the UN and UNICEF and different nonprofits and leaders around the world to fulfill their vision, you know, and Landmark, which is all about people fulfilling their vision for their lives, both personally, professionally, and, you know, in terms of the contribution they're going to be in the world and in their communities. Uh, it's all about people being empowered to fulfill their vision, their dream. Same thing with my family, you know, when I'm interacting with my family, my parents are 87 and 89 and we're looking at chateaus in France. Their, their vision is to, you know, maybe move to, I'm like, I'm in, I'm in, let's move. As soon as they open the borders, I'm in. <laughs> you know? How does empowering people bridge and connect with entrepreneurship and connect with founding, founding some of these different projects and initiatives that you've been running? Well, I think if you're going to be an entrepreneur that thrives and doesn't just start things and have them, you know, spark out, you have to empower the people around you to fulfill their vision. So you're the structure of whatever company you're involved with at that moment as an entrepreneur has to be a vehicle 
for others to fulfill what's important to them. Otherwise, it's gonna, you're going to have big turnover. You're not really going to be able to grow anything. And one of the things I'm really proud of is that the people who have worked for me have always been able to move to the next level to fulfill their vision, whether it was with me or not. You know, I'm not attached to them being with me. I want them to fulfill their dream. You know, so I have clients and employees who have moved on to fulfill visions in entertainment, whether it's, you know, working for a network or whether it's, you know, becoming a, a Golden Globe winner or, you know, whatever it is that their vision was. So I look at myself like a midwife almost of possibility. I don't have to be the focus of it. It's more about people fulfilling on their vision. I had a client who, you know, she was doing good as an actor, but not really, you know, it wasn't like a thriving career, but she really loved cooking. So we ended up having her, you know, put some videos together about her cooking and recipe. And she started a whole company that was all about, you know, providing meals and recipes and this. And now she's got like this whole thing going on. She's no longer acting, but she's fulfilling her expression and with a difference she wants to make through food, which I think is so awesome. Now, she's not my client anymore, but hey, good for her. Mm, yeah, that's amazing. That's like really genuinely wanting the best for her rather than kind of wanting something from her that's going to benefit what it is that you are up to. Yeah. And I think that's the mark of a great entrepreneur is somebody who empowers people to fulfill on what matters to them. And if it coincides with your company, wonderful. Then you have a mutual vision. Hmm. Yeah. That's a really, really interesting. And I would say almost like an overlooked way of, of looking at entrepreneurship, at least in technology where, where I mostly operate in entrepreneurship is almost, you know, this kind of celebrity status where you're just this bulldoze and you just go through any wall you find and deliver on the vision and return the money to your investors and yada, yada. But I think what you're saying here is actually the foundation that would really empower entrepreneurs to create this movement that is a company, a collection of people and, and like really realize that vision. Yeah, it's kind of like the difference between a, a spider and a starfish model. I don't know if you're familiar with that analogy. Well, when you cut the head off of a spider, it dies. When you cut the leg off of a starfish, another leg grows and it, you know, keeps existing. There's a whole, there's a book on it. It has to do with organizational theory, actually, called Starfish and Spider, I believe. But in any case, it's, you know, I'm not about doing it all. I'm about having it all. And in order to have it all, you have to empower great leadership around you because it's not possible to do it all. And anything you can do, like steamrolling through, will peter out if you're not steamrolling. So, you know, kind of the, the vision is to have a bunch of really powerful people fulfilling their vision. There'll be, there's enough for everybody. You know, it's like, I'd rather have 50 visions be fulfilled because of me than my vision be fulfilled D despite whatever carnage lies around the road, you know? How does that express itself? Well, in negotiating, you know, in my talent management company, I negotiate deals a lot, right? And from uh, I work with agents who also represent my clients and their employment agents, and I'm more of an advisor. And, you know, an employment agent, they're looking at the bottom line. How much money can we get for this? And they should, and you want them looking that way. But from my perspective, I'm looking for how do we have everybody win? So if the producer <laughs> has a certain budget for that role and the agent's like, let me get as much as I can, 
But I look from, okay, how can we have the producer be happy about this negotiation, my client be happy about it, me, the agent, everybody actually be satisfied with the interaction rather than we feel like we got more and they got less. So I'll ask the producer, what would, you know, what would have this be a real win-win for you? I'd literally just ask, I don't try and figure it out, you know, and sometimes you can get things that might not be dollars, but they're worth more, you know, like certain kind of credit or maybe it, and it doesn't cost the producer anything. So for their perspective, it's a win because they can give somebody an associate producer credit from the the client's perspective, they never had an associate producer credit. So that's now worth something to them in building their career. Now, it doesn't help the agent so much, but the agent gets it because they're building a relationship with the producer. So that's valuable to them for the future. So they're looked at by the producer as somebody who's not going to just rip off whatever they can, you know, but actually stand in having everybody win. And it's a win for me because I get to fulfill all sorts of aspects of what I'm up to with that. How do you make sure that you're putting a win-win first for everyone rather than your own interest sneaking in? I ask them, I say, here's what I'm proposing. Does this work for you? Would this empower you? Or is there anything else you see that would make a difference for you? I just ask them. I keep it pretty simple. I just ask people, you know, get in their world and find out what they want which is kind of my whole job everywhere. You know, I find out what people want in in programs that I lead at Landmark and then I coach them on how to fulfill what they want. I find out what people want in my entertainment company and then I coach them on what steps to take to fulfill what they want. I mean, it's it's no different. And I have people working for me and, and then I'll say, okay, well, do you want to get a percentage of this person or that person and take on more responsibilities? And they're delighted. You know, they're delighted to be able to step up in that way. And it, and it, and it costs me nothing right now. If they make money, it'll cost me money. Good, fine. If I'm making money, let everybody make money. I don't care. What would your advice to an entrepreneur who's starting their business, having five or 10 employees, who's looking to go from this operator role into a more of a facilitating role? Number one, I would get connected to what the people who are working for you, with you want. Because if you're not connected to that, you can empower it. And then people become resources for you, but you're not resourcing them. And you need to be a source for the people who work for you. You need to be somebody who, when they come to you, they leave bigger. They leave with more power, more freedom, more breath, you know? And mostly that isn't the case. Mostly people view their boss or their supervisor or their whatever it is, as somebody who's going to take from them. And I always look at it as like, okay, well, get in people's world, find out what they want. And sometimes it's not this. And you got to be willing to not be attached to. I mean, I had somebody working for me who was clearly like violating every agreement we had coming late, not doing this, not doing, and it was like miserable for me. I would come into the office like, oh my God, I don't even want to be here. Because she's, you know, without integrity, nothing works. And the integrity was out everywhere. So I sat down with her and I said, listen, what do you want? Because it doesn't seem to be like this that you want because you're not functioning consistent with having this work. So talk to me. Tell me what you want. And she said, well, really, I want to be an agent. I said, good, let's get you a job at an agency and let me replace you because it's not working 
for you to be here for me. And it's certainly not working for you. And every time I pay you, it's like an inauthentic relationship because I'm paying you for something you're not doing. She goes, okay, I got her job within a week. And she ended up, you know, working at that agency and that's what she wanted to do. So good for her, you know, and I got a great replacement, somebody who actually wanted to do what we were doing. So, you know, made a huge difference. That's a win, win, win. Mm, Yeah. Really just getting into the world of of your team, really understanding like what's actually important to them and then really resourcing them. Yeah. Being a source for them. So they be, they are resourced when they're interacting with you versus being a resource that you use up. This is where it becomes a bit tricky because you got to be willing to let that person go to be outcome detached, right? Totally. You have to be. Well, if it has no integrity, if the relationship has no integrity, I mean, if you're in a relationship with somebody who you're working with and they're not up to the same thing you're up to, that has no integrity. It's no different than a marriage. You know, if you're in a marriage and one person wants an open marriage and the other person wants a monogamous marriage, that's two different games. So you're going to end up with unworkability unless one person enrolls the other person in that game. So it's the same thing with people who work for you. If they're not up to what you're up to, then it's an inauthentic relationship. It's like somebody's playing basketball, somebody's playing tennis. You're never going to win either one. As an entrepreneur, bridging from an operator, individual contributor type of role into more of a facilitating leadership role. Well, I think it's a bigger self, Martin, actually. I think it's, it's more that when you become a leader, quote unquote, you have to expand the self you are. You can't be an individual self. You got to be a group self. So it's in your self-interest, but it's which self? Is it self as group? Like everybody wins or nobody wins? Or is it self as individual? Like if I win, then I win and who cares about other people? So it's just a bigger sense of self. Yeah. Bigger, bigger sense of self, like, uh, like you with your family, right? So you have two children and you know, you have a family. It's not you. It's not what works for you. It's what works for the family. What's going to work for everyone. Cause if one person is suffering or not thriving, you're not thriving. You are your family if you are, but you can kind of relate it to that. And it's gotta be that way as a company. You, especially as an entrepreneur, you are that company. I mean, if you're not, then what do you, then you're not an entrepreneur. You know, that is you as a company. So every aspect of it, every employee or team member is critical and integral to realizing the vision of the company. There's nobody who's a throwaway. Just like in your family, there's no one who you'd be like, well, we don't really need that person. I mean, it's like absurd. You know, it's like, who cares if my daughter's happy, whatever. I mean, that's absurd. It's really thought provoking what it is that you're saying. And I get that that's in my own occurrence of my team. There would be some people in my team where I'm like, wow, these guys, I don't know what they do here, but I'm so happy they're here. They're just crushing it. And then there would be some people who feels like kind of like have a foot in the door halfway out. How do you, it seems so easy when you're describing it, Jocelyn. <laughs> How do you get access to this? Well, you can't, you have to be committed, but not attached. And that's a muscle. You know, when I first started managing actors and the first person broke their agreement with me, they broke their contract. I was devastated. I took it so personally. 
you know, cause I put my heart and soul into my relationships with my clients. So for them to breach a contract with me, I was like, how could this happen? But I got, it's not personal. <laughs> People do what occurs as the right thing for them to do. And they never do anything other. They, they, they act completely consistent with how, you know, the world occurs for them and what occurs is important or more important or, you know, valuable for them. And, it, and it's no different. So your employees or the people that you work with or your partners or your investors are going to do what, what occurs for them as an opportunity for them. And if something occurs as a big enough opportunity, they'll leave. But it's not personal. They're not leaving you. You know, they're not half out the door with you. It's not about you. It's the opportunity that occurs for them as not worth going all in for. So if you, if you're kind of grounded in reality about that, I mean, I don't, I have no illusions about that, but the difference here is, you know, you really, you have a vision for your company that you want to fulfill. I don't really have a vision for my company. I have a vision for my clients. I want my clients to fulfill their dreams. I, I don't really have like an attachment to my company becoming known or I don't, that's in fact, I prefer not, you know, so I, I'm clear about the function I fulfill and that empowers me because that fits with the life I want to have, you know, yeah. in terms of being able to lead programs for a landmark and make that kind of difference around the world with people, with thousands of people. I mean, wouldn't have that opportunity if I was driven in my company to make my company this big management. I mean, you know, that's, that's so meaningless to me. Be like, okay. I mean, it's nice, but it's, it's not what I'm here for. It's, it occurs to me that both what you're doing with, United Global Shift and what you're doing with Landmark has similarities, as we talked about in the beginning also. Yeah, well, United Global Shift is about systemic transformation. So that's the nonprofit that works with nonprofits. See, personal transformation, which is Landmark, right? You having personal transformations is, is required, but not sufficient to transform the planet. Transforming what's possible, like you want to transform business. That's more of what I do with United Global Shift is systemic shifts. So shifting from a bottom line kind of culture to a people, profit, planet, purpose kind of culture. That's a systemic shift. That's what United Global Shift works with. So we don't look at the, I mean, we do look at the outcomes, but we don't look solely at the outcomes. We look at the systems in place that allow for those outcomes. And without transforming those systems, anything you create will be limited. What do you do then to transform these systems? Well, it's all enrollment. I mean, you know, it's all causing that new possibility to be present and then having people act on it. So you get enough, like in your case, in what you're out to accomplish, you'd have to create campaigns that alter the conversation around the business, not just with you, but with other businesses and, you know, you're in a platform where you can reach lots of people and really create a new paradigm for business. And, you know, it's no different than war, right? That's something, you know, peace is something that's important to me, but until peace is profitable, we're going to have war. War is very profitable, but that's a systemic, you know, you can do a, an anti-war rally, but that's not going to shift the system, which is people make a lot of money off of war. So when you transform peace to being profitable, now how do you do that? 
who knows? There's lots of inroads, but that's a question I live in. For you with business, you know, you want to create this this whole new kind of business model. It's got to be enough of an opportunity for people to fulfill on what matters to them that they start speaking it and having it in their materials and on their websites. And, you know, it's a world. It's You could spend your whole life doing that. I'm really getting present to how it all comes back to us as human beings and how reality occurs to us as human beings. What I'm hearing is your work and your dedication is really through human beings in transforming and in causing transformation in in the different aspects in the world. Yeah. Yeah. You fulfilling your vision is me fulfilling my vision, but I'm not going to take on everything. I'm not going to take on business or maybe water or, but is it important to me? Sure. It's important to me that all of that stuff gets transformed, but I'm not going to do it so I can empower people to fulfill on their vision and your vision is in business and somebody else's and is in the environment. And maybe somebody else's is in healthcare and maybe, some, I mean, who knows, whatever it is, I exist to empower and enable people to fulfill on those matters that are important to them. This is pointing a bit towards people. It's pointing a bit towards us as, as human beings. And I want to take the opportunity to shift the conversation up here towards the, the individual to give entrepreneurs access to what I believe is required to be successful. One is authenticity and the other one is integrity. I have a way that I think about this, but I'd love to ask you the question, what's required to become successful as an entrepreneur? Well, integrity is required for anything to work. So I would align with your interpretation that integrity is required because without it, nothing works. It just falls apart, right? Um, I would say being unmessable with, you can't go down for the count. If you're going to be successful as an entrepreneur, you have to be able to withstand blows, so to speak, you know, people not agreeing with your vision, people, you know, talking trash about you, people having opinions, you can't be impacted by that. So part of what enables people to be unmessable with is a vision. So I would say vision and being unmessable with, like no matter what life throws at you, no matter what people throw at you, standing firm in your vision and keep your eye on that, fulfilling that versus getting distracted by the rocks, so to speak. Yeah. I would argue that most entrepreneurs are visionaries. I would, I would align with you. Yeah. Otherwise, what would they be doing that for? Yeah. And I would argue that sometimes the vision comes from a place of inauthenticity, that it's something that we trick ourselves into believing that's important to us and that's important enough to us that we're going to be unmessable with it. And sometimes we might actually get there and it actually is that important to us and we get to become unmessable with. I can speak for myself. I wanted to start a company for a long time, just never did it. And... I thought I had a vision, but it wasn't really it wasn't really something that made me unmessable with and I kind of went for it. And I think we as human beings struggle sometimes to actually see whether it actually is something for us. Like what do you what what's your what's your perspective on this? Well, if I look from what you're saying, I I don't know if it's an inauthentic vision 
sometimes. I think it's just sometimes the reasons and considerations are just stronger. You know, people want to start businesses, but then they have reasons and, and concerns and considerations that I have to get a paycheck. I can't take that risk. I can't, you know, I have to feed my family. I have to, so it's too risky to start a business. So some, they might really have an authentic vision, but the reasons are, are louder. And that is true for humanity. Humanity lives in a world of reasons and considerations and justifications. And human beings are swimming in that water. So whether it's reasons to do something or reasons not to do something, we're bound and tethered by reasons. And one of the things I love about Landmark's work is, especially in the advanced course, after you do the form, you know, you can do the advanced course. And it's it's an opportunity to step outside the world of reasons and literally create life from a world of word for no reason. So when you say authentic vision, it it's a little bit like tethered to a reason too. Like you have to have a good enough reason to do it. But I don't have, I don't, I don't know. I, can't, I mean, I really don't have a good reason. I just said so. I'm doing this because I said so. So, you know, I don't need a reason because the reasons wane, you know, and then something else becomes more important. And then you have the, so it's either, either going to have your word or you're going to have your reasons. Okay. That's really great. So as an entrepreneur, as a human being, we're going through life, circumstances shows up and then we have a choice. We can choose our reasons and take actions within the domain of reason or we have our word and we can just take action in alignment with our word and what we say so. And that's it. And, and, and when you're living from that world of word, I don't want to get too jargony or anything, but when you're really living like a created life, which is, you know, what landmarks all about is people being able to create their life, then you're not attached to a reason. So you don't have to do that company. You know, you don't have to engage in that project. You're free. And that's the same thing with the employees. It goes back to what you were asking me earlier. You know, like you have to be willing to let the, yeah, well, you're free. You're not tethered to anything or anyone. I mean, I don't want to sound cold hearted. I mean, my God, I love my husband and I've been married 25 years and I'm not going to like not be committed to that marriage. And I have lots of good reasons, right? But it's also a function of my word because there's plenty of reasons not too many times. I'm sure you wake up and the kids are yelling and screaming and it's like, you have every reason to whatever, but you're, you know, you have a word to be a father. And it's kind of like that. It's like, I could, I could stop doing everything I'm doing and create something else. That's freedom. I get that conceptually. Now putting that into practice, uh, having done also the landmark programs, some of them myself, I kind of get it. But I really want to invite you to create this for the listeners. How do you do that? Well, you got to give me something specific so I could coach you in it. I can't do it hypothetically. Otherwise, it gets conceptual, right? But is there something that you really want to accomplish that seems too risky or out of reach for you so you're not in action on it? Hmm. Yes, there is. Okay, what is it? So one thing that I have given my word to is my wife. And she is she's the person that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. I know that. I recently got that people occur dangerous to me. 
And sometimes when my wife asks me something, what I answer her is a lie. I say what I think that's going to kind of provoke the least dissatisfaction on her side. Uh-huh. And that that shows up with me in my relationship with my wife right now. Like I'm taking on a lot of things and and I say to her that she's important and that she is the most important thing to me. And And sometimes I see just my actions not being in alignment with that. So what you want to accomplish is what? Being honest with your wife or what is the thing you want to accomplish? Um, when I say that she's the most important thing to me, I want my actions to reflect that. It's a little conceptual though, because you, you know, how are you going to know you accomplished that? Right. So if you look, you know, whatever this is with your wife, there's something that you want that seems too risky to act on or out of reach. So if you look from there, what is it that seems too risky? So you're not doing that thing or you're doing something counterproductive to it. Like for example, right now I'm training myself to become an introduction leader with Landmark. And I know that requires, that requires time for me. That means I'm taking time away from some, some, from something else. Taking time to train yourself or do anything doesn't mean you're taking time away from something else. That's a myth. That's a recipe for burnout. Okay. So you may be in a story that you're taking time away from right away. You're in a disempowering context right there. So if when I go to work out, taking time away from my company, that's absurd. That's like, no, I'm not. I'm taking time to work out. There's no bundle of time that's assigned to somebody or something that now you have to parcel it out like a pie. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But right away, if you're in that story, you're going to be disempowered in your relationship with your wife because you've already got a view that you're taking something away from her and she's sacrificing something. Yeah. I got so that. So can you yeah. see you're starting off on a yeah. on a foundation of misery? <laughs> you're going to be miserable and so is she. Yeah. Cuz now you're the selfish one who's taking away time from her. Oh my god, what a drama. Yeah, it is sometimes drama. Um Yeah, I really I really see that. That's a really disempowering context to come from. I see that for me to be more for other people, I got to be more for myself. I got to sharpen the knife, you know. Okay, but what are you training yourself in? What are you training yourself in? Right now I'm training myself to be really effective. For example, with my time like sometimes, you know, I could sit down and I know I need to write an investor an email or our investors update or whatnot. And it would take me much more time to actually complete that than what it actually requires for me to, to write that email, right? Sure. And so have you shared that with her, that that's what you're training yourself in, in this program? No, I have not. Oh, 
Yeah. So she has no vision for your training because you haven't shared your vision for what's going to be available out of this training. Mm -hmm. She's only going to have what you share with her. Yeah. I really see that. Yeah. So she has no access to anything you're doing except through your sharing. Listen, I just led three weekends in a row, advanced courses online, right? That's a lot of time, right? That's like, I haven't had a day off and I don't even know, you know, a month or two or something like that, like, like a day off. Cause you know, when I'm not leading, I'm also running my company on those other days and I'm taking care of my parents and I'm, I've got my family and all that stuff, right? My husband sends me to lead cause he gets so much value from me leading. He gets the benefits of me leading and you haven't created that your wife gets the benefits of your training. Hmm. Yeah. That's called having a word in the matter. So if you don't have, this is back to what we were talking about. If you don't have a word in the matter, all you have are reasons and considerations and justifications. Well, I'm not going to tell her because she's going to get upset and this is the path of least resistance and I don't want to cause an upset. And now you have all your justifications, but you have no word. And if you are going to create a marriage, I mean, pardon me taking these liberties, but if you're creating businesses that are, you know, made of grit, integrity, and authenticity, you'd want to perhaps translate to your, to your marriage, <laughs> integrity and authenticity. And the minute you're pretending to say something that you're not, there's no integrity in your marriage and you're going to suffer. And so is she. And I'm not saying you don't love your wife at all. In fact, that's the opposite of what I'm saying. You're just in a consideration about her reaction or a reason or a justification because it's just easier or whatever that is. And that'll douse your power in your marriage. Yeah. I'm really getting a lot out of what you're saying here seed stage like early stage companies one of the biggest reasons for why they fail 60 percent, is that the founder throws a towel in the ring the entrepreneur's journey the founder's journey for it to be successful it has to be integrated and what i'm dealing with here with my wife it's a part of the integration of my entrepreneurial journey with with the rest of my life like i can't be a great entrepreneur unless i have my private side sorted and I think that is essential for entrepreneurs to think about. If they don't take care of their partners, their families, going to the gym, basically they are they're building their business on top of a foundation that isn't of integrity. And at some point, they're going to be one, uh, another one of the founders of the 60% that's going to be not fulfilling their vision. Yeah. And, and to build on what you're saying and take it to like a whole other place is your family can't be another thing on your plate and your business can't be another thing on your plate. It's gotta be the plate. What's the plate. And for you, what I hear is your plate is integrity and authenticity. So if that's the plate, then your marriage has to show up inside of that. Your exercise has to show up inside of that. Your business has to show up inside of that. Your investor relations, your, you know, your podcast, the whole thing is inside of a context called integrity and authenticity. That is created. You created that. That's very powerful. That's called living a created life. If that's the context for everything. 
I created long ago, making dreams come true and fulfilling on what, what matters to people. That's the context of my life. So my children show up inside of that. I listen for what are they committed to? My husband, my parents, my clients, my participants in programs that I lead, you know, that's the context in which I see them, the lens, right? So if you are seeing your marriage through integrity and authenticity, it won't be something that you have to fit in. It'll be part of a plate. It'll be the plate. I really get that. I feel sometimes disintegrated. Like I feel sometimes I have like lots of satellite stuff going on. You're going to burn out if you, if you continue on that path. That's the recipe for burnout, having lots of stuff all over the place. When I did my introduction leader program 250 years ago, back when I was a, to a toddler, um, that's what I got out of that program because I went into that program with a lot on my plate. I was overwhelmed often. And what I got trained in was having it all, not doing it all, making requests, invitations, that's registration, right? So being somebody who can actually make powerful requests and invitations and enroll people in a vision, I've never been overwhelmed since, not once. And that's more than, you know, I don't know, 30 years ago. It's enabled me to create everything that I've created. When you say, oh my God, you do so much. Doesn't occur for me like I do so much because I have a platter, not a plate. Yeah. And that's the context. And if you can create your context as integrity and authenticity or whatever you create, you'll have so much power and freedom. I can really see this for, for myself, for sure, adding tremendous value. And I like what it is that you were saying. It, it's, it's something I create. It's not something that I can just wait seeing happening. I need to put in a structure and I need to do the work to have this realize. You share that with your wife. She'll send you to your agreements. <laughs> don't you have an agreement right about now yeah where you're going to be practicing uh integrity and authenticity i mean you know it's like and then you have your kids grow up inside of that space people used to ask my kids when they were little what does your mom do they would say she makes dreams come true that's what they said because that's how i shared with them then it's not daddy's never here because he's always working. No, he's out in the world creating an environment for business that is integrity and authenticity. Are you kidding me? That's who my father yeah. is. Wow. I get, I get really pumped and really inspired by speaking to you. And I'm really getting that enrollment is the access to manifesting a created life in reality. You know, one of the most important things as a entrepreneur or anybody is operating in reality. Right. And when I say reality, I mean like your calendar and having things scheduled. I mean, I schedule showering. That's how my, how much my, my calendar is sort of like the existence of everything that I'm committed to. So if you can create your calendar in a way that with your wife, you know, maybe these three hours are going to be, I'm going to be with the girl, the kids. Here's, you know, three hours we're going to cook and we're going to do this or two hours or whatever it is. And here's where I'm going to extra, here's where I'm going to do my agreement. You know, there's, here's my classroom and she's involved in that scheduling and she can kind of have a say, Oh no, I don't want to do it. Those two. Can we do it this time? That'll make a big difference in what you're dealing with. And just for any entrepreneur, if you don't have things in your calendar, you have them in your head. And that's not a good place to keep anything. 
because it's not a reliable test for reality. You got you you got to schedule things and schedule the amount of time it takes to do those things. Like you said, with writing the emails, you know, if you're if you know you're gonna kind of futz around for twenty minutes, mental direct, you got to allow for those twenty minutes. You know, otherwise you're just gonna be overwhelmed all the time. And that way it keeps it out here versus in here in your head, which mm-hmm. is not a good place for anything. I try and keep nothing in my head. I keep it all out of my calendar, you know, so that I can act on it. You can't act on what's up here. You can only act on what's out here. Yeah, absolutely. Do you use like a physical calendar or do you use like your phone? Or- I use Google Calendar. I'm all, I'm an Android person. For me, that's a really use, but you know, you can use whatever works for you. My husband uses yellow pads. I'm like, I could never, I I would go insane if I had pads everywhere, but for him, that really works. He won't even create a Google calendar, but he keeps everything in existence that way. And what I've seen, anybody that I've interacted with, like really powerful people that I've met with, or, you know, successful people, anytime we say something in the meeting, they immediately write it down and put it someplace. So again, going to don't keep things in your head or your memory or whatever it is, you got to keep it out in reality. So if you have a pad or you have a capture tool like your phone that you, and then you translate it, you assign, you got to schedule the time every day to download things from that pad to your calendar. If it doesn't live in your calendar, it's not going to happen except by accident. And what exists in my calendar, I can deal with. You can't deal with stuff in your head you just can't it's just too messy in there but out here you can deal with anything and i can and i can include dealing with it by saying okay i'm not going to do that now and then move it but it's physical so it moves you know like that block on your calendar moves to friday so it's it's just it, it has taken a lot of the drama and overwhelm out of my life by having that stuff in there. And if you don't, and if I don't schedule my workouts, if I don't schedule my showers, if I don't schedule cooking, I'm not going to do it. It's too easy to get wrapped up in what you're doing. Hmm, that's interesting. Like, do you know uh, Naval Ravikant? No. So he he's a pretty famous angel investor. And what he does actually is that he keeps most of his calendar open. He argues that inspiration is a perishable and that's why guarding his time, allowing for for exactly that, is one of the most important things for him. I'd be curious to get your take on that. Well, I keep certain parts of my calendar open too, because if you're too filled up, you can't be a space for other people. But I don't quite have the same, I mean, I don't know if it's the same philosophy as he has. I'd have to read more from him, about him. But I definitely, you know, the universe fill space. You know, if you have space, it'll fill. So you have to fill it. Otherwise life will fill it. And I do block off time off or, you know, well-being. That's what I put in my calendar. I put in a couple of hours of well-being a day, because if I don't, I won't tend to my well-being. And what that looks like is I could just, you know, I could just turn on the TV or I could just take a walk or I could just do whatever. So that's that space for maybe inspiration or creativity. Um, But Mm -hmm. if I don't schedule that, like I, like this weekend, I literally, I just was like, I'm going to just spend time with my parents. We played Yahtzee, we watched movies, we cooked. I mean, it was great, you know, but I had to schedule that because otherwise I'll work. And entrepreneurs are sometimes 
very tend they tend to work a lot you know that's yeah. part of the you know the 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 good thing about an entrepreneur is they have a good work ethic right usually um but the bad the flip side of that is they can be like workaholics and just fill all their time up with work and no balance so you have to create if you're going to have a created life you have to create your life not your schedule not your what there is to do if you create it you can create time for inspiration or you know whatever those like I have a certain time I get off email. I would be on email 24 hours a day just by default, but I literally schedule. Don't look at your email from this point on. I have a couple of rapid fire questions. And the first question is, can you give me an example of putting integrity above reason? Sure. With my nonprofit, you know, there are certain values that we created like pillars, principles, for our nonprofit. And we were doing a workshop in Trinidad and there was a company that wanted to sponsor the workshop and give us quite a bit of money. It would pay for the whole thing, the flights, the whole thing. And when looking into the company, the company's function, the company functioned inconsistent with our principles. And they had, you know, wages for some of their employees that were below living wages. And that was against one of our principles, right? So we didn't take the money. Yeah, that's really powerful. So that so that companies, employees, partners, anyone who you, who you engage with starts to get how real you are about the principles that you set out. I mean, I don't know how much it impacted them. I mean, I don't know that they were really like staying up at night going, wow, we should really relook at our paying practices. But But for us, we slept at night. I really think that that's also what is as required for us as a species right now in the situation we're in with, with our planet. You know, as a consumer, you do have the power of where you put your dollars. And if enough people put their dollars in companies that are anti-gun, then peace starts being profitable. You know, or you have, you know, the power of where you bank. You know, you could empower local banks, depending on what matters to you. And you do the recon to find out what companies are up to. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, I think that is that is a part of the transformation that's happening and that we want to see. I'm going to ask you the second question here. So what am I not asking you that you would like to talk about? Um, I don't have anything. I don't have like an agenda. So it really is completely here to fulfill on what you wanted to fulfill on from this interview. And, you know, my intention is that it makes a difference for your listeners, that they're left in action, empowered and in action on what matters to them. I'm seeing we're fulfilling that. Third question here. So so what book have you gifted most and why? Well, I give all the actors I work with, or not all of them, but a lot of the ones that I consult, this, the book I wrote about acting. So it's called So You Want to Be a New York Actor. But that's so specific to, you know, people who want to be a New York actor. Um but Peace Promises is probably the other one I've gifted the most. And it's a 30-day program to create peace in your life at all levels, from the level of individual, family, community, like that. So that is stemmed from the technology and the, the curriculum at United Global Shift. So there's a lot of actionable things you can do to create peace. That one is one that I've given quite a bit. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, metaphorically speaking, getting a message out to millions of people, what would it say and why? Wow. 
sounds silly, but <laughs> do the landmark forum would be because if we had more people with that language, oh my God, what could be possible in the world? But, you know, I don't know if a billboard would say it. If it could be done in a billboard, I probably would have done that. I think it takes yeah. more engagement than just a billboard. But if I could get, yeah. pe- if I could get people to participate in, in the education that Landmark offers, I think the world would shift in such a quicker way. You know, like we can actually cause a contextual shift in what it means to be human. That's, that would be, that. well, that's what I've given my life to. That's what my life's about for the last 30, 40 years. So that's, uh, that would be pretty good. You were mentioning, well, that probably wouldn't work if we did it that way. What makes you say that? Well, um, I mean, it's a belief. I mean, it's not necessarily the truth, but a belief that a, a few words don't alter things in a in a lasting way, and it takes more of a of a engagement in a conversation. But listen, advertising alters things. I don't know if it's in a, a, a lasting way, though. I mean, I was in advertising, so you know, I can I could create a slogan for almost anything, right? I just don't know if it goes and reaches through people to the heart of who they are. And maybe it could. I, I'm open to it. it Save me a lot of weekends. <laughs> you know? A lot more free time to cook French yeah. food. Yeah, thanks for that. I, I, I can definitely see that. One of the things that I've gotten from my, my participation in the programs is that it's really ontological, like it's, it happens on an experiential level. It's something that one cannot be conceptually explained. It's something that has to be discovered for oneself. So I guess having a billboard with a couple of magic words, having people discovering what's been holding them back all their life. Yeah, I have a hard time seeing how that that's possible, but that would be that would be incredible. It'd be amazing, right? <laughs> yeah. What is the best investment you've ever made? Well, monetary investment or investment of time and heart and um monetary really if we can give listeners here spend spend 100 bucks here and uh and that will like you know change your life i, I think i know what you will say i'll, I'll leave you to answer it anyway oh <laughs> uh, well based on what you just said i mean but i did i didn't my parents paid for my curriculum back then so that wasn't my investment monetarily so i have to say that was the best investment they ever made they adopted me that was one investment and then they gave me landmark but uh real estate has been the best investment monetarily ah right so i don't mean so much monetarily with regards to the value you got from it but more investment as in oh that was the money you invested and and then the, the value you got back oh no question that the course is at landmark. I mean, there's there's no question that the bang for your buck is ridiculous. Uh, you know, I don't even know. Maybe it's six seven hundred dollars U.S. to do the forum and the kind of value. I mean, you can't put a price on being able to be present with the people in your life and you know appreciate your life and create your life and not be stopped by reasons. I mean, how can you even? I I, I couldn't rob enough banks to pay for what I got out of the curriculum at Landmark. I just couldn't. I mean, that's just being straight about it. And I, and I know 
you know, I sound like a, a broken record, but I was 11 when I originally participated in transformative education and my parents were separated and my mother did it. Then my father did it. They got back together. They're together 65 years now. Hmm. You can't put a price on that, you know, and I've produced results out of, I mean, I got my record deal. That was my dream since I was four because I did the landmark forum. I got a number one record because I did the landmark forum. I got married because I did the landmark forum. I started my company because I did the landmark forum. I start, I raised $90 million for charity because I did the forum. I mean, it's all, you know, it all kind of goes back to the tools that you get and the muscle that you get as you're discovering for yourself, the training that you get to be a force in nature and create anything you want, any vision that you ever had. Yeah. Really, really great. So next question here, if we could, cover any topic on this podcast what topic would you recommend and who would you like to hear speaking about it hmm. well if we were going to talk about transformation of systems and people i'd love to have werner on your podcast werner Erhard, who you know created the tenants underneath the forum and all of the work that we did and the work that he, I'd like to hear about the work that he did in Northern Ireland to contribute to the peace process there. Mm -hmm. That would be really fascinating to get a glimpse into what did that take and where were you standing, you know? Yeah. Werner, Werner Erhard. Let's see if we can get him on. <laughs> yeah, why not, right? You know who to ask. What's the best way for listeners to connect with you? Landmark's website, they get me everything from there. So landmarkworldwide.com and you can communicate there. I mean, I'm pretty Googleable. So, you know, if you Google me, you'll find me in one shape. I'm not hiding. <laughs> I'm the most findable person you can imagine. Got it. So what's the one key advice that you'd give to the listeners to help them become masses of grit and realize their full potential? Well, I would say get clear about what your vision is, not just for yourself as an individual, but for the world or for your family or your community or your industry, whatever it is, but bigger than yourself as an individual, that'll wear out real quick. So get clear on what your vision is out here and then have that be the context of your life. So hold everything inside of it rather than fit it in. You can't fit in your vision. It's got to be the holder of everything so that everything else just is a natural expression of it. Yeah. This is about transforming the context in which it is we are living. Yes. Really great. I want to, so last thing I want to do here is I want to call a couple of things out. So, well, I know that you are um, United Global, you are with United Global Shift and the mission is to cause a United Global Shift in what is possible for, for humanity focusing on the environment, entrepreneurship, health, and education, and a shift from survival and scarcity to possibility and peace. And here's a call to action to all the listeners. Go there, check it out, unitedglobalshift.com, and join this shift today. And there's also another call to action here that's part of my access as well, is entrepreneurs, go do the Landmark Forum. Actually, that's the last thing that we have on the program for today. Thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. And thank you to all the listeners for tuning in. And we'll see you very soon. Bye-bye.